want to mention that we're going to be celebrating the Lord's Supper today, communion, and um, we're going to do it a little bit differently than we've done in the past by inviting you to come up to one of the tables in the back or front spread around the uh, sanctuary here. I'll give a little explanation about that, about why we're doing it and how we'll do it a bit later. I also want to mention that next Sunday, August 11th, is one of the most exciting Sundays of the year in our church because that is the day that our students, our youth, lead our entire service. Be a combination of music and testimony and video and recap of their summer mission trips. It's always a, a really tremendous service. So hope you'll make special note to be uh, with us uh, next Sunday at this time. Now we're continuing this morning our study of the New Testament book of James. James is all about practical Christianity, how true faith is to be lived out in the world. If you were taking a, uh, if you were a student in Bible school or seminary and your textbooks were the books of the New Testament, for your course in theology, you would probably have a book like the book of Romans for your textbook. But for your course in ethics, you would very likely have the book of James. Because James is talking about how the Christian faith should be applied, how it should be lived out in our lives. And today, we're going to talk about what James said about our words. I was reading an article this week about word origins. I thought it was an interesting article, and uh, it was noting how some of our words came about. For example, uh, the word dunce. We think of a, a dunce as a, maybe a word some of us used growing up to refer to a, you know, a slow-witted person or, person or something like that. It actually dates back to a Scottish man named John Dun Scotus who was brilliant. He was a, a philosopher and a theologian, and his followers became known as duns. But over time, some of his ideas were discredited, and his followers who held to his earlier teachings uh, were looked upon as people who embraced ideas that were behind the times. Therefore, duns were people behind the times, and over time came to refer to someone who was a bit slow-witted. What about a word we use more often, the word sandwich? Well, legend says that this word dates to a man uh, named John Montague, who was the Earl of Sandwich. And people were accustomed to eating bread and meat or bread and cheese. But uh, John Montague, the Earl of Sandwich, was apparently very fond of playing cards while he ate. So he asked his valet to bring to him his meat between two slices of bread so his hands wouldn't get greasy by handling the meat when he played card. And thus, Sandwich was born. Ketchup apparently dates to 17th century China, where there was a popular sauce of pickled fish and various spices. Apparently, the British picked it up from Indonesia and Malaysia, where it was called K-Chap. And today, according to Heinz, they sell 650 million bottles a year of ketchup. Well, regardless... The origin of words, word meanings certainly change over time as well. But one thing is very, very clear in Scripture. And that is that our words are incredibly important in the eyes of God. And this morning we're going to explore why. Passage Allison read a moment ago from James chapter 3 
teaches us that when our words are under God's control, our lives are under God's control. In James 3 and verse 2, James writes, For we all stumble in many ways, and I expect most of us could say amen to that. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. James uses this word bridle to speak of control. And in verse 3, he says, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Like a bridle, a tongue is small, but has great influence. It's like the rudder of a ship. Look at the ships also, he writes, though they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. Now we know that ultimately it's not the bridle that controls the horse, but the rider who controls the bridle. It's not the rudder that ultimately controls the ship, but the captain who controls the rudder. And when our words are under God's control, James is teaching us it's an indication of maturity, spiritual maturity, lives under the control of God. And James will link our words to our heart, as he says in chapter 1, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. He goes on to explain that uncontrolled speech affects the whole course of a person's life, compares it to a fire. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. What a statement. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Wow. James didn't even have social media in his day. And he's saying that wrong words like fire can inflict much damage and spread rapidly. James will go on to write in the same chapter in verses 14, 15, and 16, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, spiritual, demonic, that is, of the devil. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Uncontrolled speech can affect the whole course of a person's life. James goes on to explain that human power alone cannot tame the tongue. Every kind of beast and a bird of reptile and sea creature can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. No human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Wow. What James is doing is pointing us to the need for a higher power than mere human discipline. Because the real issue is not the physical organ of the tongue in our mouths. The real issue is the heart. Our words reveal what's in our hearts. And James uses this illustration. There's a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water. Can a fig tree, my brother, spare olives or a grapevine produce figs? Of course not. His point is that the water reveals the type of spring. The fruit shows the nature of the tree, the type of tree. The words reveal 
the heart. And again, James has already relinked our, linked our words to our heart. James was the half-brother of Jesus. Grew up in the same household in which Jesus grew up. We say half-brother because Joseph was not Jesus' biological father. Jesus had no earthly biological father. He was conceived in the womb of Mary by the Holy Spirit. We don't know for sure exactly when James became a believer, a follower of Jesus. But certainly he was familiar with the teaching of Jesus you see on the screen from the Gospel of Matthew because James' teaching in chapter 3 is, is very similar to what Jesus taught. Jesus was in conversation with the Pharisees and Jesus had cast the demon out of a man and the Pharisees had said to Jesus Christ the most horrible thing they could say. They said, this man cast out a demon by Beelzebul, the power of the devil, they're having said that Jesus taught about what is sometimes known as the unpardonable sin, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. He accused them of that, attributing the works of the Holy Spirit to the devil. And then he said the words that you'll see on the screen. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you're evil? And here's the key. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. And then he gives us some sobering words when he says, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified. And by your words you'll be condemned because your words show what's in your heart. Wow. I read a statement like that and think, how can any of us then escape judgment? I think the answer to that question is the same answer to this question, how can our speech be under God's control? And I think James gives us the answer in James chapter 2. In James chapter 2, James had been uh, telling the church that followers of Jesus should not show favoritism. If a rich person walks into your worship gathering and a poor person walks in, you don't treat the two any differently. Favoritism, he says, this type of prejudice is a sin. And he, he says it's a breaking of the law of God, just like committing adultery or committing murder. And then he says, so speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who's shown no mercy. And then I think one of the most powerful statements in the book of James, mercy triumphs over judgment. What he means by that, I think, is that though we deserved judgment for our many wrong words and our many sins, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we receive mercy. Jesus on the cross bore the judgment for our sin. As we embrace his salvation through faith, placing faith in the Lord 
Jesus Christ, turning to him by faith, we are under the law of liberty. For us, indeed, we can say that mercy has triumphed over judgment. I don't know this for sure, but I think when we are in eternity with the Lord, you know, the Bible says at that time we will know even as we've been known. We'll know fully as we've been fully known. We'll no longer see through a glass dimly, but then face to face. I wonder if at that time we will not realize that our human goodness that we thought so much of on earth was not nearly as good as we thought it to be, and that our sins were far, far worse in light of the infinite holiness of God than we ever realized, but also that God's mercy was far, far greater than anything we had ever imagined. As we understand more fully the length to which God went, when God the Son came to this earth, humbling himself as a human being so that he might seek and save the lost, that he might bear our sin, bear our judgment, that we might be adopted into his eternal family, sharing in his inheritance, living under the law of liberty so that mercy triumphs over judgment in our case. James is pointing us to that. And I think it's the first and most important thing we must understand if our speech is to be under God's control. Because God deals with the heart. Related to this, how can our speech be under God's control? We have to be filled with the Holy Spirit. I don't think there's any other way as followers of Jesus Christ to have the rule and the lordship of Christ in our lives and our hearts so that it's expressed in our words than by being full of the Holy Spirit. In Ephesians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul is writing to Christians. You can tell that from the context of his, his writing in the book. He's writing to believers. And Paul would say that believers have the Holy Spirit dwelling within. And though he knows that, he gives this command, be filled. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. I take that to mean he's commanding us, be controlled by the Spirit. Be yielded to the Holy Spirit. And notice what happens when we are yielded to the Holy Spirit. Notice the marks of spirit fullness. Three of the four, I think, have to do with the words that come out of our mouths. He writes, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That has to do with our words. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Your heart is full, it's expressed in your worship. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Maybe today after you take communion, as we have people to pray with you and for you at the, the various communion tables. You'd like to just have someone pray with you for a renewal of your devotion to the Lord and for the fullness of the Holy Spirit, for a yielding of your life to His full control so that your speech be under the Lord's control as well. How can our speech be under God's control? Live under the law of liberty, the gospel. Be filled with the Spirit. And then James gives us very practical guidance in James chapter 1. Be quick to listen and slow to speak. 
I do not know of a more important principle to help marriages and relationships where there's tension than this one. James says, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Many, many marriages and parent-child relationships could be spared lasting damage, lasting hurt, hurt from which it's difficult to recover by obeying these words. If you're a person who struggles a lot with the control of your speech, with uncontrolled anger expressed in your words, I would highly recommend continued study of the book of Proverbs, which is filled with the wisdom of God. Proverbs 12 and verse 18 says, there's one whose speech is like the piercing of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Words can hurt deeply in the soul, the spouse, the child. And Proverbs gives great uh, prescription uh, for control of our speech. Proverbs 10, 19, for example, says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. Whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Do you know people who just just always dominate a conversation and just talk all the way through. Beth and I, and my wife and I, used to, to visit someone. This person had never been a part of our church. But this person had mastered the art of talking without taking a breath. I'm serious. We would go, and when we'd go visit this person, we would say, how long are we going to stay? We've got to determine our ending point and then look for an opportunity to interject the words, Oh, we've got to leave. Be quick to listen, slow to speak. I, I, uh, I think these words in Proverbs are worth gold. Proverbs 17 and verse 27. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. He who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. And some of my favorite words in the book of Proverbs. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. I think of people I know who have great wisdom. And this quality is true of them. I see a couple of them in this room today. They're quick to listen. They're slow to speak. And then finally, another principle of James. Not only should we live under the law of liberty and be filled with the Spirit quick to listen, slow to speak. He would teach us, as would Jesus, I believe, from the Gospels, to become a person who keeps your word. James says, but above all, my brothers, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes or your no, no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Now, a lot of people, when they read these words, what comes to their mind is that, well, if I have to serve jury duty or, or be in a courtroom and I'm told to place my hand on a Bible or any way swear, I could never, never do that. And, and I'm not, you know, condemning any person who holds that view. So certain religious traditions have held that view. But I think what James is seeing, saying here is a reflection of something Jesus taught on a couple of occasions. In his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 
And later in Matthew chapter 23, Jesus talked about oath-taking. And he was addressing these religious leaders about the hypocrisy, the insincerity of swearing by certain things, of oath-taking. They'd swear by the temple or the gold that's on the temple or by heaven and this sort of thing. And I think the, the point, the issue here is not so much taking an oath in court. It's swearing because you feel the need to give added force to the truthfulness of your words. And I think what Jesus was teaching and James is echoing here is that you shouldn't need to swear to give added force to the truthfulness of your words. People should know you as a person who, when they say, say yes, means yes. When they say no, means no. And we all know people in life who, when they say they will do something, they do it. When they say they will be there, they show up. We know others who, when they say they'll do something, they might do it. And when they say they'll show up, they might show up. Become a person who keeps your word. How can our speech be under God's control? Live under the law of liberty above all things. Embrace the gospel so that mercy triumphs over judgment for your life. Be filled with the Holy Spirit as we take communion in a moment. It's a great time to just reflect upon our, our need for the gospel and our need for the help of the Holy Spirit in order to live a holy life. Be quick to listen and slow to speak in a person who grows in our ability to keep our words. Now, if you were like me, you realize that the very first words in this chapter are very, uh, very first words in chapter 3 and verse 2 are true. We all stumble in many ways. And that's certainly true of our speech. As I think about my life over the years, I've realized that in my personal time with the Lord, when I'm con confessing my sins, more often than not, that's got something to do with either thoughts I've had or words I've spoken. It is so easy to say words that affect someone else's attitude, reflect poorly on someone else. They're unnecessary to say. I've not been quick to listen, slow to speak. In Jesus' words, quote, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they've spoken could create a lot of fear were it not for one great truth, the great truth of the Bible. And that is that the great judge is also the great savior. Scripture says that he bore our judgment. Jesus bore our sins in his body on the cross that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. And in the words of James, mercy triumphs over judgment. We celebrate that triumph today in what we call the Lord's Supper, communion. On the screen, you'll see the Apostle Paul's instruction about the Lord's Supper, communion, what he had been taught. He relays to us when he writes these words. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant 
in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. If you choose to take the bread and the juice this morning, you're making a visible proclamation that you have received the benefits of the body of Jesus given on the cross, the benefits of his blood shed, that you have turned from your own sin and rule of your life to embrace his saving lordship. And then the Apostle Paul gives this warning. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. I'd like to take a, a couple of minutes now to pray and have some silence and let us do just what those words call us to do. Examine ourselves and let the Lord, the Holy Spirit, search our hearts so that we are certain we have embraced the salvation Jesus provides. And if there's a person the Lord brings to mind, you need to forgive. If there's a sin the Lord brings to mind, you need to confess. We can do that during this time. Let's pray. Father, we ask now that the Holy Spirit would guide us in this moment regarding any prayer we need to pray, any person we need to forgive, any sin we need to confess. And for anyone who has never truly embraced the gospel, your saving work on the cross, that this would be the time they would turn to you in faith and do that. Speak to us, Lord, as we need to hear.